On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hello, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. And welcome back. Welcome back. To the Slay Queens podcast. That is what this is. That is what this is. <laughs> He's like, why are we being so formal? What's it happening? Is, it is that thing that you just said. It is that thing. Yes. Um, remind me, Ashley, again, because I am me uh, and I'm a forgetful person. What is it that we do here at the Slay Queens podcast? We take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. Oh, my. The rainbow. Sounds titillating. It is. <laughs> you, how you worked it in just barely under 35 seconds that time. I was, uh, my goal. Uh, I Did was, you see that my eyes immediately shot to the Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was plotting and planning this time. My goal was. She to, was. My goal was to beat you two at Henny. <laughs> Almost. Almost. Just shy. Just shy of 35 seconds. That's all right. All right. So welcome back, folks. Welcome back, kings queens and folks to the slay queens podcast as ashley said this is the place where we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow yes we do uh also something about shenanigans and tomfoolery that's right that's probably what i should have said <laughs> Damn it! i wondered if I you were gonna take it, it from me i wondered if you were gonna take it from me <laughs> i was distracted uh, by my no. wine <clears throat> <laughs> by your excellent wine that your oh, yes. excellent co-host excellently gifted you absolutely so i finally got my christmas gifts we had you know hard time getting together so here yeah. we are but I, I will say i'm drinking out of a lovely large red wine glass that says it's my turn to take a selfish which i love <laughs> and not to mention it's in pink which you yeah. even mentioned you're like this one's obviously for you because duh pink <laughs> exactly exactly we love pink around here we do we're very pro pink mm-hmm. uh at the slay queens podcast we're pink ladies might you say um pink. Oh my god we should be that for halloween we should be (gasps) i'm here for it and i'll totally be rizzo because isn't she the one that goes to beauty school no 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 um Oh, Jesus. Which one goes to I know, school? But you I'm, guys are hair pink. Not Rizzo, the one that's like chewing bubblegum and she's no, real cute all the I time. I can see her face. I can't remember uh, her name because I'm a bad gay. We're bad about this. No, I did. The, I sprung this on Isn't us. Isn't her name Pinky? Isn't Might, it something? They call her that Pinky Tuscadero. <laughs> Oh, no. But I know she's not Rizzo because Rizzo's the no bad Rizzo's the girl. the one with the red yeah. hair. Yeah, she's the one that does the epic. I'm just plain sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's hilarious. So I'm not a horrible gay. I'm just a bad gay. She is the one that does that, and I always like think it's hilarious Stop until San- until Sandra D walks in, and I'm like, oh, poor Sandy. Yeah, <laughs> heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, which I think everybody literally knows uh, about that movie, but it's probably the only fun fact I have about that movie. Other than the fact that John Travolta is a, a screaming homosexual. Um, <laughs> I was going to say he's a total babe, but totally gay. Yeah. You know, they had to sew Olivia Newton-John into those pants that she wore at the end. No way. They were so tight. Now she I understand how they did it. They, she literally had to be sewn into them. I mean, I always wondered how she even danced that well, because you can tell that it's difficult. Mm. You can tell that she's <laughs> not, in fact, breathing. That's yeah. amazing. That reminds yes. me of an episode of the Kardashians where Kim's like literally ba- basically laying backwards like so her dress doesn't 
suffocate her and i'm like i mean the things <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a different kind of war you're going through i guess <laughs> i feel like if she were laying backwards though then she's at risk Higher of her risk? her breasts falling back and suffocating her <laughs> that's a very bad am i wrong point. that's a valid somebody point. at me and let me know if yeah, i'm wrong let me know and, okay. and let us know the name of the girl who turns her hair which one turns her hair pink anyways let's go on let's go on <laughs> uh shall we dive into a rainbow star we shall. Okay. And shall we? Per use. Yes, ma'am. I will kick us off. Uh, per use, we yes. are going to do a rainbow star. If this is your first time listening to us, hi. Welcome. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with the rainbow star, because this is your first time listening to us, we do uh, shout outs, thank yous. We make announcements or acknowledgments and give recommendations like a gold star, but rainbow because we are queer. That's exactly right. And I love it every time you say it. I'm like, is he going to add that part in? Because it's the, it's the whole point. It's the whole point. Yeah. All right. So first and foremost, I would like to shout out the people whose names I have on my phone that I am unlocking right now. <laughs> I'd like to shout out our friend on Twitter and an Instagram. The Twitter screen name is OKNate. And he gave us a lovely mention and a lovely shout out uh, saying that uh, we were one of two podcasts that he would recommend to just kind of brighten up everybody's 2021 because unfortunately 2021 ain't starting out so great sis i'm love i'm just all i can think of is the lady gaga post that i made where she's singing the the famous you know what's going blondes. on what's yeah. going on and she does it so beautifully but it's just so accurate because yeah. she's so much more aggressive about it so yeah. yeah and i'm loving that it's one of two because that's i mean Sure. That's slim pickings. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, super fan there. Thank you so much, Nathan. Screen name on Twitter again is OK Nate. We really appreciate that love and that shout out. We also want to shout out Soulless Society Podcast, who showed us love on Twitter. And we also would like to shout out the Caffeine Podcast. Coffee, but like caffeine and coffee. See, when, when I read that, for the first time, I just, my brain, like, totally shorted out. I was like, what am I reading here? <laughs> what but am that, I looking that at? That totally makes more yeah. sense the way yeah. you're reading it. I don't even know how I read it. But, yeah, yeah that ma- I love that now, yeah. that I, now that I'm not a complete maroon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shouting out all of those people. Thank you so much for the love. Uh, and we would hope that you folks would return that love in abundance to those beautiful creatures. Yes, thank you. I also would like to thank everyone who has thus far made purchases in yes. our merch store yes. which i think rolls thank us, you and acknowledgement yeah, yeah which rolls us into acknowledgements and announcements ashley would you like to tell the folks about the merch store we have a merch store <laughs> we have a merch bottom store. line we bottom do. line yes <laughs> it do we do it is a link that is uh to threadless but we do have it on all of our pages uh instagram twitter i'm pretty sure I have we've I yeah. posted on Facebook. It's probably on our link tree. Yeah, Did you it's, put it on there. I think yeah. it's I think it's at the top of our link tree, yeah. which so of it's... course is in the bio of our Instagram and our Twitter. And Ashley has made sure to add the link to our Facebook. Absolutely. So it's there. We have lots of lots more um, to choose from than I thought there would be, and I'm loving it. I am very pleased with it's the products. It's hard for I've me to so choose far. what I want myself. <laughs> So far, I have. I've changed uh, the my latte cart mug. like nine times. <laughs> what do you have? Yeah, so far I have the latte mug. It's at home. I'm loving it. And we have a couple of other things on the way a pink terry cloth pullover. Yes. Handy. I um, do definitely want one of those. <laughs> I, sure. I don't wear pink that often, but pink's my color. So I'm definitely going to venture out when it comes to our yeah. merchandise. 
Yes, but that's an acknowledgement and an announcement. Yes. And we recommend. We recommend that you go over there and check it out. And check get it some out. stuff. Yes. Um, beautifully made. Beautifully made. And the people that I know of who have made the purchases already and have gotten their products have been very pleased with them. So yeah. we recommend that you all check that out. Yes, please. What about any other recommendations? Ashley, do you have anything else? I have two very brief recommendations okay. this week. One thing that actually, I guess this should be like a a thank you also. My friend Maggie actually led me to this website. She was actually asking me if I've read um, Chase Darkness with Me by Billy Jensen. And I'm like, well, it's funny you say that because I just ordered it yesterday on Amazon. Ooh, serendipitous. And so she said, here, go to this website, which is Abe books.com that's like a b e books.com and essentially when you you pull up the website which i'll just do it right now you are brought to like looking up authors and looking up book titles or you can look up genres basically it's like looking at the catalog at the library right so the dewey decimal system that's exactly what it is thank you i was like is that what it was called because i think that's what it was called but i don't want to be wrong (laughs) um but yeah in any case you there are books that like a lot of the times when you look something up, you'll get it from like half price books mm-hmm. or an independent seller or something of that nature. And she's told me that she's bought books by like Anne Rule for around three dollars and not even paid shipping. We love Anne Rule. Oh yes, we do. Yes, we do, honey. That's how she brought it up to me. She was like, "Have you read? Can't remember what it is she's reading." But I said, "No, but I have read." Uh, oh, the stranger beside me, and I, I didn't even finish my sentence. She was like, "You read the stranger beside me, didn't you?" And I'm like, "You are just chewing the books for me." <laughs> so yeah, that one is an awesome. If you're a book reader, totally check it out. And then the only like really short thing, they don't need my acknowledgement, they don't need my shout out, they don't need this. But Jensen and Holes, their newest episode is with Karen and Georgia of Murder Squad, and they're talks talking about the Nexium cult, and it is amazing it's a really great episode if you don't know much about that cult i'm sure you've heard of it but the way that they talk about it like i learned things that i didn't even know and i've watched plenty of documentaries on the nexium cult so yeah recommend that okay awesome and what about you i i don't have a recommendation other than the merch store plug 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 um (laughs) but because you mentioned and rule and i some synapses connected in my little brain Mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw but kathy kleiner followed the slay queens podcast twitter account no, I didn't. Kathy that. motherfucking Shut Kleiner. Up. That's we have to like thank you, shout out, acknowledge. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy, if you're listening, you were incredible. That's amazing, and, and thank you so much for showing us the time of day. Anything, 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 <laughs> anything just at all. You. Like, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So, and thank you uh, for the positivity that you're putting out into the world because she is very much like that bitch. That's says, you know what, you can co- overcome adversity in your life and still go on to, like, be a happy, healthy, productive member of society. Mm-hmm, honey. So. Say it. On that note, should we take a quick break and then come back with a story? I am so ready for the story. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> let's do it. All right, let's take a quick break. All right. We are. We are back, 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 back again. Yeah, there we go. I'm claiming it as ours. It is. Like, now. thank you, Alyssa Edwards, for introducing us to it, mm-hmm. but I am now officially claiming it as property of the Slight Queens podcast. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it is. And if I were to ever be confronted 
by Alyssa about that, I would completely fold. Absolutely. But- <laughs> You'd be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I love you. Please I'm, forgive me. <laughs> I would literally grovel at her feet I with my too. mask on. It's okay. Yeah, with my mask on. <laughs> uh, but I would, you know, grovel at her feet from a distance of six feet. <laughs> That's exactly right. Socially distanced groveling. Yeah, exactly. That's a thing, right? Uh-huh. Now it is. Now it is. We said it is. We said it is. And if you heard it on a podcast, it's got to it be true. It has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So, Ashley, this week, we are talking about a Cold Justice episode. Yes, we are. Cold Justice episode. So, should we... Should we? We should dive in. All right. Let's do it. All right. This week, we're diving into the TNT original True crime docuseries Cold Justice. For those who may be unfamiliar, according to the show's Wikipedia page, quote, the series produced by Dick Wolf follows former Harris County, Texas prosecutor Kelly Siegler and a team of investigators as they reopen unsolved murder cases with the consent and assistance of local law enforcement. Uh, Crime scene investigator Yolanda McClary, a veteran veteran of the Las Vegas Metro Police, also appears in the series. Mm -hmm. Yolanda had been the earlier inspiration for the character Catherine Willows, who was portrayed on the television series, the original CSI. Oh my god. And you can totally see it like once Wow. Right? That's why I did Wow. Yeah, because when I read that or docu found that little (laughs) piece of information and documented it in my notes, I was like, I totally see it one thousand percent. That's so funny that you say that because I totally see that now and I'm not gonna retract this, but what I had written wrote written, wrote down, wrote down written written down Mm -hmm. initially was that Yolanda low-key reminds me of, like, a cop southern version of Vinnie Brown. <laughs> that? Oh, no. I know, and I'm so sad. I'm like, I don't want to retract it, but that's what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> now that you've made that connection, I feel really strangely about some of the things I have written about Yolanda. <laughs> she is very hot, though. I mean, you're allowed to think that your partner's mom is hot. It's okay. Because, <laughs> okay, well... Just so that everybody's aware, Vinny Brown, Vinnie Brown is... is a beautiful, yes. badass, uh-huh. like strong woman. She also happens to be my fiance's mother. Yes. So she's my future mother in law. <laughs> and we're all going to feel real awkward about some of the things no, that no. I say about Yolanda moving forward. <laughs> I apologize, but I had to like throw it in there because like now we both had our comparison. Well, that's like a real, yeah, real yeah. comparison, but okay. I had my, <laughs> I'm going to try to wipe that from my memory because my very next note makes Love it weird. Love you so much. Yeah. So my very next note says, and yes, I realize that that's kind of a mouthful, but I wanted to make it a point uh, to include that information about Yolanda because I'm basically obsessed with her. Oh, yeah. And then I went further to say, you know what? I should probably just go ahead and get this out of the way so that everybody understands the true extent of my obsession with Yolanda. <laughs> I wrote so many things about her. I totally bought him for Yolanda. <laughs> One thousand percent. Okay, well, I didn't know that it went that far. Yeah, so and I... <laughs> now I feel really strange. I apologize about but this, but I still love you. But it's okay. So I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen. I'm going to edit that out of my memory. <laughs> Control Alt Delete. Maybe edit it off of the podcast. I'm, I haven't decided yet, uh, but we're going to move forward. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This episode uh, features a case that isn't, or the episode that features this particular case is t- titled. Hiding in Plain Sight, and originally aired as Season 1, Episode 5, in October of 2013. 
Uh, per the episode's IMDB page, quote, Siegler and McClary head to Dixon County, Tennessee to look for new clues that may help solve the 1998 murder of a likable grocery store owner. Uh, it's also rated 9.2 out of 10 stars. And just an interesting side note, this show actually was a TNT original, like I just mentioned, but evidently it was canceled by TNT in mid-2016 before being picked up by the Oxygen Network. That makes sense, because I feel like I've watched this show a few times before in the past, and I feel like sometimes, you know, when you, like, ask Alexa to play something, Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is this so different, and it's a totally different, like, season and different, because it depends on where it's playing from. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, originally a TNT show, picked up by the Oxygen Network in February of 2017. Okay. And, um... At one point in time, this show was available on Netflix. I can't find it on Netflix anymore, but if the listeners want to watch this particular episode, it is available on YouTube. That's another thing. I had watched it on Netflix, and I remember because mm-hmm. you told me, okay, you can watch it on YouTube because I don't have Netflix anymore, and I was like, okay, great, because I don't have Netflix. Yeah. Well, now it's not on there. Okay, anyways. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. It's on so many different platforms, and it's, it is confusing. So I would say for anyone who does want to watch the episode – Get on, like, your phone or your computer and Google the name of the episode Mm -hmm. and then find, like, your streaming platform because it is a bit confusing on how many different ways you can watch it. And again, in case you missed it or so that you don't have to go back, go back. (laughs) It's uh, Cold Justice is the name of the show. The episode is called Hiding in Plain Sight. Yeah. All right. So are we ready for this? I am so ready for this. All right. We open with Kelly and Yolanda, obviously driving and riding, respectively. One driving, one riding, not both doing each. Uh, <laughs> and some type of SUV. And they don't waste any time letting us know, us as the audience, know what's up. There is no air of mystery. There is no moment to consider the possibility. There's really not at There's all. There's not. I didn't even consider that. They just jump right in. They jump right in. Like, you see that, like, one second of cinematography, and you're like, oh, maybe they're taking a, a lovely, like, Sunday drive through the country. No, oh, no. Now you're inside the car, and these exactly. two women, are who are, like, the strongest women I've ever seen before ever together, are just, like, power talking. Yeah. <laughs> they are immediately discussing uh, the gory details of the case. Uh, to the extent that Yolanda is saying, quote, I would call this murder an overkill because of how many times he was shot. Mm-hmm. They give you, y- y- you it's have like no, 15 seconds you have in. no time to prepare. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we're Slay Queens. We, I like that. We kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Next, we learn from Kelly that they will be investigating the unsolved murder of Eric Baxter, who was shot and killed in his home in rural, there it is. Rural Dixon, Tennessee, <laughs> on August 30th of 1998. Uh, we're given a little bit of background information about Eric, specifically that he and his mother were considered prominent members of the community and that they were local business owners who operated several convenience stores in the area. I'm pretty sure that was the first rural of season three, by the way. I'm pretty sure that I worked it into all episodes at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you did say it on the midwest drag episode but i don't think you've said it oh here really yet. yeah okay because i remember when we recorded with them i was like hey i don't think he said that yet i'm extremely disappointed in i myself. know well at least we've done too many city cases apparently uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something can't have that no all right yolanda whom uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whom we love apparently. we do uh but i also put in my note here yolanda whom i from henceforth shall refer to as bad bitch yolanda absolutely (laughs) (laughs) informs us that the crime was originally investigated by the local sheriff's department and the tennessee bureau of investigation 
uh, but was unsolved due to lack of evidence and their having been unable to uncover the murder weapon. All right, so then we pop back over to Kelly, who lets us know that despite the murder being unsolved for 15 years, quote, several suspects still remain. This, of course, is all happening while the audience is blessed with a dramatic sequence of said suspects uh, in interrogation rooms, all, of course, denying any involvement in the murder. Now we end this roller coaster of an opening sequence because that's just the opening sequence. Literally, you're just like thrown right in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we end the opening sequence with Kelly and Yolanda back in the previously mentioned uh, SUV, cruising into Dixon, discussing what their objective or their goal for the week is going to be. To which Kelly tells Yolanda that she hopes to have a strong enough case to convince the district attorney that he wants to take an indictment request to the local grand jury. Which, it's good to have goals, right? It's good to have objectives. That's how you know what you're working for. It's a tangible goal, I feel like, for something that's been open for as long as it has. And I don't know if you've mentioned the amount of years it's been yet. Mm Mm-mm. Okay. Well, since the since the murder, yeah, yeah, I said fifteen years. Yeah. So fifteen years later, I mean, it is good if you're going to go back in. Like, what else? You need to have a goal, right? Absolutely. (laughs) That's the best goal you can have, right? Yeah. If you don't know what you're working towards, then you're kind of just floundering, right? Exactly. What the hell are you doing? (laughs) All right. Getting back into the actual episode after the opening sequence and whatnot. Um, getting back to the actual episode, Kelly and Yolanda learn that this week they will be working with Detective John Patterson of the Dixon County Sheriff's Office. Uh, we meet Detective Patterson, and he explains that his involvement in the Baxter murder investigation began about seven or eight, seven or eight years prior when he looked into the case file and requested the opportunity to work on it because he, quote, wanted to be the one to solve it. Detective Patterson further explains that he had known Joy, Joy is Eric Baxter's mother, and he wanted to help bring some resolution to her. Unfortunately, we had previously learned in just a little snippet that Joy, the mother of Eric, had actually passed away before any major developments could be made in the investigation. Which is always terrible. Yeah, it is sad, but if you're a person of faith, and you and I both are, you know, I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. you and I both are. We don't necessarily um i always say that i believe in christianity i don't believe in the christian church absolutely when well, yeah. i'm with you 100 percent. um but if you are a spiritual person uh after she passed she then knew what happened to her son i right? mean yeah that's fair yeah yeah that's the greatest answer you could have i guess i yeah. mean if you can't get one in person then yeah if you can't get one in this life you can get it in the next that's exactly right all right Kelly and Yolanda also meet Special Agent Joe Craig of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. The TBI became involved in the case immediately, and Joe was the agent on call who actually responded to the scene the night the homicide occurred. So he was there from the very beginning. He further explains that this had actually been his first homicide case, uh, but since then he's investigated over 60 murders, but... The Baxter case is the only one that remains unsolved. I was hoping you were going to bring that up because I thought that that was just striking to me. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly a very good uh, investigator. Absolutely. And that obviously, I mean, doesn't he, isn't he the one that says, yeah, it's a lot of sleepless nights. And I'm sure that it is because the one that haunts you. I mean, think about that. If you've got 20, maybe, yeah, sleepless nights, but just one. Yeah, Ugh, girl. I ha- and I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and I mentioned it in my next note. Um, he also says something here that I completely respect. He admits that he's a much more experienced, much more seasoned investigator now than he was when that crime uh, originally occurred. And he questions 
uh, if he knew then what he knows now, if there maybe could have been a different outcome. Oh, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And I completely respect that. It takes a strong person to recognize their own potential shortcomings, but it takes an even stronger person to look at the entire world and say, I maybe made a mistake. Oh, yeah. This is going out on national television. This is a murder trial. And I'm like... I'm going to go back with fresh eyes because I'm more seasoned. Exactly. So snaps. Snaps for him. absolutely. Snaps queen. All right. I'm not as loud as yours. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't graduated that level of gayness yet. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty fucking gay. All right. Uh, As part of the show's shtick, for those of you who maybe haven't watched it before, Kelly and Yolanda always bring in some form of outside assistance. Uh, Another fresh set of eyes uh, on these cold cases. This week, that person is a man by the name of Alan Brown, who is a former homicide investigator for the Houston, Texas Police Department. So we get the opportunity to meet Alan and this Fab Five quickly get to work. Truly. <laughs> I love this team. They are quite fab. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of them as well. All right. The team discusses victimology. Who was this person who was this victim? At the time of his death, Eric Basque, Baxter was 32 years old. He was working as the general manager of a chain of convenience stores that were owned by his family. Uh, He had what all considered to be a bright future, and there was no clear reason why anyone would want to do him harm. But harm him, they did. Overkill is the term uh, Agent Joe uses to describe the murder of Eric Baxter. I think it's used a few times, It's used several times. I'm honestly surprised it wasn't the name of the episode. That's actually probably, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because they use the term a good bit. We learn that he was shot a total of six times, three to four of which would have been fatal on their own. So mm. he literally was killed three or four times. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that um, person knew what they were doing, which exactly. they obviously are going to bring up. We know. Yeah. <laughs> he, they, actually, you know. Well, we know. You, you and I. You and I. Well, we, you know You know the real real. Well, that's true. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Uh, We learned that some of the wounds were actually inflicted post-mortem. And last but certainly not least, the assailant placed the barrel of the gun against Eric's right temple and fired a final round to make damn sure that that victim was deceased. Yeah, and it's sort of like they do this whole walkthrough of what they think may have happened, and which I'm sure you're going to get to. But that was kind of like where they talked about it was the last... I'm going to make sure mm-hmm. like they think they're in a horror movie where like the killer is going to wake back up. Oh, and then you have to kill him dead again. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to overkill is literally what that is. Overkill. Quite literally. You know that this person's dead, but I'm just going to bend over and go real close because I'm, I'm not taking any chances because I'm sadistic. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm a garbage monster. Uh-huh. A All garbage right. monster. <laughs> That's the new term that we're using at home a lot. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. All right. Now. Uh, we finally get our list of suspects. First and foremost, there's a fellow by the name of Tommy Wortham. Tommy was leasing to purchase a convenience store from Eric and his mother uh, when they discovered that there was some illegal drug activity taking place there under Tommy's watch. The family then canceled Tommy's lease and pulled out of the deal to sell the business to him, which of course caused Tommy to lose all of the money that he'd invested in the store up to that point. Another interesting little fact about Tommy is that he had worked as a lieutenant criminal investigator for a sheriff's department that was kind of local to the area. It was just south of Dixon County. A lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I mean, he wasn't even just like a rookie cop. Like that guy was a lieutenant at one point in his life. Yeah. And now he's 
getting kicked out of business propositions for selling drugs. Oh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear more about that later. He was not a good cop. Not a great cop, right? Not not a good dude, but not... definitely not a good cop. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Fab Five, of course, are quick to point out that that means he's got access to firearms. He knows how to use them. He understands crime scene investigation, and he knows kind of like the rules. Uh, that authorities have to abide by when they're trying to solve a murder case. Thus potentially explaining why there is so little evidence or why there was so little evidence left at the scene. Well, shit, yeah. I mean, look at Golden State. Yeah, exactly. 30 years of... Excellent point. You know? Look at you Mm. with your true crime knowledge. I actually recently finally watched the the Golden State. It's not over. It's a little lackluster after we know, like, what happens with him. Because you're kind of looking at people with their theories like, you moron. (laughs) Because, like, obviously they're not right. But at the time, I'm sure it was very compelling. Well, and, I mean, we're we're true crime fans. Like, we just immerse ourselves Uh in it. But somebody literally asked me at work yesterday, because I know I'm a true crime fan, whether or not I had watched the Ted Bundy tapes. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I started watching them but i found that i wasn't learning anything from them that i didn't already know the only thing that i really appreciated about the ted bundy tapes now that you brought them up mm-hmm. is a lot of ted bundy talk this episode the <laughs> that's true the <laughs> interview you're right you're right the interview uh where like he's kind of whispering and it's it's a re- recorded interview mm-hmm. i had never heard before i've read the interviews i've read everything yeah. he said in the past but that was bone chilling that okay, was one yeah. thing that really got to me. But I will admit, the only reason that I decided to watch the Golden State one is mm-hmm. because of my Paul Holes crush. I even looked at Sierra. I was like, I'm going to watch this because I wonder if Paul's in it. Like, he has to be, right? <laughs> and within 15 seconds, I see the back of his head, and I'm like, that's Paul Holes. It's Paul Holes. And I, like, kick my feet, and she's like, I wish I got that reaction from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was, it was good. It was just, yeah, like I said, a little... No more sheen to it once you know what actually happens. All right. So we digress. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll go back to the story at hand. I don't even know how we got onto that. (laughs) Uh, I don't either, but. (laughs) That's just my life. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's who we are. Yep. Tell us more. Tell us more. All right. Our second suspect is a man by the name of Jerry Ragsdale. Jerry popped up on the list of potential suspects when law enforcement considered that due to the overkill, again, we get that term. (laughs) Yep. Due to the overkill. Eric Baxter's death may have been a crime of passion. Which totally makes sense. (laughs) But the crime of passion. Dun, dun, dun. Crime (laughs) of passion. That's right, folks. Uh, Jerry and Eric, quote, had a sexual relationship for about 10 years and even lived together for a period of time. They sure did. And there it is. There it is. If you're wondering why we're talking about this guy. (laughs) (laughs) How exactly he made it onto the Slate Queens podcast. That's how. All right. Okay. So Jerry reportedly had been dishonest with law enforcement when he was initially questioned about his relationship with Eric, originally saying that he was just a close friend who worked for the family, but later he admitted the truth uh, that they had been something more to each other. Because of this dishonesty, police were reluctant to rule him out as a suspect, which, so the crime queen side of my brain totally understands. Like, I get why if he's been dishonest about any aspect of the investigation, and we've yet to be introduced to him. Exactly. Too. Like in person. There's just an image of him. Yeah. But the queer queen side of my brain, so to speak, fully understands why a homosexual man living in rural uh, 
I'm, I'm trying to make up for for sure all the <laughs> for missed lost ones. time yeah all the missed ones uh in small town tennessee in 1998 i completely understand why he wouldn't necessarily be comfortable sharing that information with the local good old boy absolutely like, absolutely so i see both sides of this and i'm not saying that any i'm not upholding him in in lying Yes, and especially, too, it does very much come off as if they were not necessarily monogamous, too. Like, it wasn't this 10-year committed relationship that they were just hiding. They very much portray it, and we might be wrong, but the way it came off to me was that it was a very casual kind of like, well, we're we're both into men, so, like, let's just have this relationship every now and then. I think you're right. Um, I agree with you because he said, well, we didn't really think of it as a relationship. We just thought of it as us having fun. And I have been in situations like that because, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I lived in the South for a long time. It seemed to me like it was a relationship of opportunity. Well, you know when someone comes up to you, they're like, are you guys together? And you're like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think that they were two gay men living in Mm -hmm. a town where they were probably the only two gay men. Where else are you supposed to get it? Yeah. So I think it was a relationship of opportunity. You better get in where you fit in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that was probably not the I right. I could go a bunch of different directions with that. Oh, Lord. But we're just going to continue with this story. Antiways. Antiways. All right. So, like I said, I kind of see both sides of it. All no, right. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. So, we learn, actually, that our next suspect is dot, 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 no one. I love this look that I'm getting from you. Uh, I just made it a point to note it because uh, speaking of not being entirely honest, it would seem that Kelly slightly exaggerated when she told us that there were several suspects in this <laughs> yeah. homicide investigation. I'm like, I'm like yeah, where are she we? specifically said there were several suspects at I the beginning. I didn't realize. There's just two. Two. Yeah. That's not several. That's it's a just couple. just two. No. Oh, my father and I used to get into this argument over the time, all the time of like what a couple was because he always thought that two was a couple. Mm-hmm. Or no, he thought a couple was three. And I'm like, no, but a couple is like two people. That's a couple. And he's like, no, that's a pair. Well, I mean, it's 2021. <sighs> Some people might argue that's that fair. a couple Couples, is three. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, he maybe he was just looking into the future. <laughs> maybe he case, was ahead of his time. But several is neither of those things. I several agree. would be would mean several. <laughs> exactly. Several is not two, Kelly. Several to me means at least more than four or five. Yeah. All right, so I agree with you. I just, I just wanted to point that out in case anybody else notices it. I hadn't noticed. That's funny. All right. Um, Fortunately, the da 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 da. I've lost my place in my notes. I apologize. But it says on the plus side, now we get to go to the crime scene because we're not meeting any like additional suspects. That's where we are. Now we get to go see the crime scene. Fortunately, the former home of Eric and his mother. Uh, still belongs to the Baxter family. So the Fab Five have been granted full access to the house and all the property. Okay, this shit blew my mind. Okay. This house. All right. What about it? Because everything is the same. It's the exact same. What the fuck? It's, it's I the... literally wrote, I like I wrote down like what, it looks the same. Oh my God. They, what the fuck? <laughs> they said it was the same furniture. They the took same pictures carpet. side by yeah, side. Yeah, they did side by side comparisons. Everything is the yeah, same. and Everything was the same. And I know it's, and here's me like thinking that could just be a fluke. Maybe they just own it and don't live in it. You know, they just kept it like a fucking museum or something. Yeah. I could see maybe why. 
But no, like the pictures they're taking of present day, there's like shit on the table. So Mm -hmm. like someone's obviously living there. People obviously live there. And who lives there? Some of the, well, obviously somebody in the Baxter family. It has to be. But the, I agree with you in the fact that it's not like it was kept as just like a shrine to these people because you're right. There was evidence that people were living there and you could tell that certain things had been upgraded, like the telephones Mm -hmm. and whatnot. As far as the furniture and everything, though, it's yeah. like they've kept it all the same, which just literally blew, not literally, actually, in my mind, blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it didn't look, it didn't really look odd. You know what I mean? Yeah. How if you would consider that furniture and carpeting and decor and things like that. It was very 90s. Yeah, it was very 90s, but it didn't look bad. No. You know what I mean? It didn't look derelict in any sort of way. Probably because there was a decent amount of money in that house. Like, That's it wasn't true. like, you know. That's true. Everything from Ikea. Yeah. When it was originally <laughs> bought, it was high-end stuff That's anyway. That's exactly right. It's yeah. all vintage now. Ooh. <laughs> so fetch. I like that perspective. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I have a whole section of notes here that literally just talks about how everybody's commenting or remarking about how it looks exactly the same as it did back in 1998. And even um, Babich Yolanda when she walked in, said, wow, it looks just like the pictures. Crazy. Yeah. All right, so here we finally get the theory of what the local boys think happened on the night of Eric's murder. Investigators suspect that someone simply approached the front door of the house, knocked on it, and when the door was answered, a struggle ensued. That struggle led Eric and his killer into the hallway where several rounds were fired off, some hitting the victim and some not, until such time as Eric collapsed. Then the shooter reloaded their Smith & Wesson 38 caliber special five-shot revolver before delivering the aforementioned final shot to the right temple. So that is all according to the TBI and the Dixon County Sheriff's Department, the people who initially investigated uh, this crime. And they are doing one of my favorite things, like kind of walking through a crime scene, like yeah. using one person as the perp and one as the victim. Oh, like, yeah. Like kind of doing the reenactments. And I whatnot. love that. Like in my yeah. head, like that's the only reason I wanted to be an investigator when I was younger. I get that. <laughs> I get that. Looking at the blood spatter because that was super intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, knowing where the bullet came from and all of that. And then reenacting things, trying to get behind the mind. <laughs> For sure. Maybe I should have been a psych major then instead. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, this is a pretty cool like scene, how it all goes down. Yeah. However, immediately, and yep. I'm talking immediately. Bad bitch. Bad bitch is like, nah. Nah, nah sis. You're wrong. L- you're wrong. Let me tell you uh, this makes what makes more sense. No sense. Yeah. She said, according to the layout of the house and the fact that there were literally zero witnesses, because if somebody was coming in and out from the front of the house, they said, okay, well, maybe they wouldn't have seen somebody at the door, but like, this is a main access road. People would have seen someone approaching and leaving this house. Mm -hmm. All right. So because they're, uh, because of the layout of the house and because there were no witnesses, Bad Bish says that she thinks the perp approached the house through the backyard completely concealed by the dark of night Mm -hmm. uh, that the windows from the back of the house would give that person a clear view of where eric was in the home because you know that like whole like 
if it's dark outside but you've got lights on inside it's literally like you're watching a television like you can as see soon everything as it gets dark, like we have a, a house right and our mm-hmm. bedroom is on the first floor and it's on the main road so as soon as it gets dark out i'm like shutting the blinds and i'm like no more light like we're not we have lights on inside i don't need people to like be checking out what we're exactly. doing because i know that's what's happening you literally get a clear view of what's going on inside the home so and as soon as they go outside it's like all glass in the back it is i mean it is glass. all windows all sliding glass doors it's gorgeous but also that's terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um she further suggests that this person snuck into the house through the back patio door which we learned was usually open because that's how the family's two dogs went in and out to potty side note i even thought to myself i'm like she has a valid point where she's talking about how like you're not gonna like unlock relock unlock mm-hmm. relock blah 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 well, my parents live in Mason, Ohio, mm-hmm. where there is not a house that is less than 3,000 square feet in their neighborhood. They always relock and lock that door every single yeah. time because my mom loves true crime. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're armoring ourse- arming ourselves with knowledge. Arming ourselves with knowledge. Every and... time. That dog goes out probably every two hours, but it is always locked and relocked every time. Okay. All right. So let's add this to the life rules, right? Because we've done Lock one... your doors. Lock your <laughs> effing doors. And don't leave a key, like you said. Don't leave a key because you'll get hatcheted in the face and... What? <laughs> <laughs> made her choke on her wine (laughs) Uh. (laughs) i mean that's true though if you Um, leave a key near your door i can't handle that and i don't what was the first one (sighs) somebody at us and let us know yeah we're gonna remember it like maybe at the end because we've done one we've consistently done one every episode of season three and i forget maybe i'll remember by the time uh we make it to the end all right so continuing her theory once inside, they met the victim at the front of the hallway as Eric was actually leaving his bedroom to investigate, duh, the sound of a door opening and closing unexpectedly. <laughs> right. And that's why he was gunned down in the hallway. The murderer then would slip uh, out again, like slip back out through the back patio door across the yard, still concealed by darkness so that no one sees him, again, no witnesses, to a waiting vehicle that they had parked on a roadway that runs just behind the Baxter property. And it does make sense. It's not a property that, like, butts up to another house. Like, mm-hmm. there is just a back road. And when they're even standing in the backyard, I'm looking around them. There's nothing around. Yeah. I mean, there may be neighbors to the left and the right, but they're far away. Yeah, I agree. And in Bad Bitch Yolanda's opinion, <laughs> if the killer entered in through the front door, that's more indicative of a crime of passion or a crime of opportunity leaning towards the lover uh, Jerry as a stronger suspect because he would have answered the door exactly he would have answered the door for him but if the killer entered in through the back door as she actually suspects that's more indicative of a premeditated ambush style crime leaning more towards the suspect of Tommy as actually being the assailant that's right yeah all right so next we meet Rhonda Talbert who was Eric Baxter's <laughs> very best friend and actually the last person to speak with him before he was killed. She was precious, wasn't she? She was precious. I, I loved did. Her. I loved her. She was a great addition, like a nice little like light added to this. Yeah, exactly. Because we started out so harshly uh-huh. and it was just like, we just got pounded like immediately, which some people are super into. Um, <laughs> depends on the mood. Depends on the mood. But then um, we're getting all of this like kind of stressful uh, information. And then we meet her, which like you said, is kind of a light point. Yeah. In the I mean, story. I know that like... Everything that she went through is terrible, but she does. She's kind of that, like, beaming, like, oh, I'm this kind of person who's just yeah. going to give you my input. I'm not law enforcement. I'm just 
standing on the fringes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Missing my friend. She adds a more personal element to That's the exactly story. what it is. There, sure. you, there we go. Yeah. Um, it was actually determined that Rhonda was on the phone with Eric approximately 30 minutes before his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, she tells us the story of their union, which is a tale as gay and as old as time. <laughs> they had met in high school. They had so much in common. Uh, they had the exact same personality, she said, and he was like a brother to her, etc., etc., etc. And I'm also willing to bet that she probably stood up for him when the other boys were mean to him in gym class. Oh, like, absolutely. That sort of relationship. 100%. <laughs> they were in drama together. Exactly. And she walked him through the halls all the time. <laughs> it's a classic story of how all gabies meet their high school besties, right? Oh, yeah. Just your good yeah. Judy. Yeah. Uh, But these two actually continued that relationship into their adult lives. And Eric was uh, even given the amazing opportunity to be the godfather to Rhonda's two children, which I thought was super precious. I love that. I do have a friend who, one of the only Gold Star lesbians that I know, uh, her best friend is a Gold Star gay man, and they dated all through high school. That's, I had a very similar situation. You feel like that's something from a movie. And then I had a friend who actually like, that's their lives. And it's funny because she told me they tried what they've kissed before. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, presented it. She screamed, ran away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is really a movie scene. Like, that's not real. And she's like, no, but it really happened. And then I've never seen one since then. Other than, you know on the phone but (laughs) i mean isn't that funny i love stories like that though when you know you know i love and especially if you look at their like their prom picture together you're Mm -hmm. like "Mm -mm." yeah you both knew and that's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh that is that is precious tale is all the time though they're they're best friends to this day and i love that all right so maybe you would have been my gay best friend in high school if we lived together for sure for sure for sure we'd have gone to prom together you'd have looked lovely in a tux and i would have looked great in uh, a dress i did always wear chucks with my dresses so i totally would have wore a tux i like that (laughs) all right in Rhonda's interview with kelly and yolanda she gives the audience what in my opinion was the creepiest moment of the episode so far probably the creepiest moment of the whole episode You'll recognize this. Yeah. She says that while the two were on the phone together that night. Um, oh. Eric, yeah. yeah. Sorry. When they were, you, you, got, <laughs> I got you got it. She says that when they were on the phone together that night, the night that Eric was murdered, he kept commenting on how he thought someone or something must be behind his house because his dogs kept barking and acting as if there was something wrong. Yeah. Which of, or, which of course adds credence uh, to bad bitch Yolanda's theory that the killer approached from the back of the house. Mm-hmm. And apparently we're getting another, another life rule because I wrote one into the notes, not even like considering that we might kind of just organically <laughs> do that, do that, have one. Um, this brings me to another life rule. Uh, I've got, the, I've, oh, oh, I've got them in here. All right. So last week's was don't leave the, uh, don't leave the key I around love your that house. You, this is happening. Yes. Yeah. Don't get, uh, don't leave the key in front of your house. You'll get hatcheted in the face. Um. Oh, maybe I don't. I just have last week's. We still don't, we still don't know what the first one was. Sorry, <laughs> somebody let us know. Anticlimactic. Right. So yeah, sorry, my bad. All right, so, so so so, I'm gonna Trust. say it 17 more times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week's rule or this week's second rule, the bonus rule, if you will. Trust your dogs when they're trying to let you know that something is wrong. We've said it once. We'll say it again. Even cats, like I swear, my cats do act like dogs. But every cat owner says that. You'd have to meet them to know they do. It's like I know they know when something's wrong. Like if if they're staring and they're paying mm-hmm. attention, like 
the cats obviously don't bark, but <laughs> there's a difference. If dogs are going nuts and something's happening, you know, they yeah. know, they know that you know that they know, you should trust it. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. Pets, uh, specifically dogs, uh, but pets for sure are protective of their owners. Yes. They see, hear, and smell things that we can't as humans. And if your pets are going crazy saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, something ain't right, then hey, mom, hey, dad. Something, Something ain't, ain't right. right. <laughs> it's true. Trust those motherfuckers. Get the F out. Call That's the right. police. But at the very least, what? Lock your fucking Lock door. Lock your door. Like, yeah, what? I, I was thinking that at least, at least, if you're on the phone with your friend, if, and I'm on the phone with my friend, and I my dogs are going haywire, my cats are going haywire, whatever, I'm going to just check every door in my house, every window in my house, all of those things. Do you like how I have like a little like hand phone up to my ear this whole time? No one can see me but you and you're just looking at me like, bitch, no one can see that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like I would be checking every locked everything. I would be making sure I know where my knives are. Like I would be checking everything. I I mean, I can't say that. Not to victim blame or anything. No, 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 no. I I can't say that I would do all of those same things, but I know. I'm paranoid. Well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, I am as well, but I can't say that I would do all of those same things. Like, I wouldn't lay out my knives and count them or anything. Not that. um, (laughs) I'm just saying that I, if I legitimately thought someone or something was in the darkness behind my house. I would for sure lock my door, sis. That's what I'm saying. Make you sure know? that things are locked at least. Yeah. And again, not to vict- not to victim blame. Right. All right. But it's um, something you think when you're watching. It's like watching a horror movie. You're like, why are you doing that? Do exactly. this instead. Don't run up the stairs, Sydney. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up because I have twice now, but thank you for paying yes. homage to that. Yes. All right. So after Kelly and Yolanda leave Rhonda, they decide to return to the Baxter home to test the theory uh, or test their theory that the house could have been easily accessed via the roadway that runs behind the property. Mm-hmm. And girl, I love this whole thing. This, <laughs> I said it must have been Fall and Dixon because mm-hmm. bad bitch steps out of that SUV wearing a matching leather jacket and boots with her hair tied back and that fucking fierce ponytail. Listen, I wrote it down too, and I'm trying. <laughs> I listen. <laughs> Literally, I have a star here. Yolanda's ponytail and that fucking leather jacket. Oh, my God. It was Girl. everything. <gasps> I lived. I died. I was resuscitated. Absolutely. And I lived again. She my looked heart's so beating up right now. good. Yes, she did, honey. Yes. yes. She's so badass. All right. So the lady. Can we get like a clip of that just to be like the, the, I'll try the to, thumbnail for this? I'll try to find it and put it on the social media. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the ladies were, in fact, able to walk from the roadway to the back of the house relatively easily. Um, along the way, what did they find, Ashley? They found cut, like, barbed wire, right? Barbed wire fence that had been cut. Which was interesting to me because they were harping on it. But in my mind, maybe I'm just a pessimist in this moment. Maybe I hadn't had enough coffee that early in the morning. I was like, that could have been cut at any time. Yeah. <laughs> you know and they mean? mentioned that. They did. But that I... It is coincidental that it is right there. Yeah, and it was seemingly, they never say it, but it was seemingly like what would a fence that would separate maybe like the property line from Mm -hmm. like where you would near the roadway. That roadway. Yeah. Like a a nice clean, like he had planned out a nice clean line. A beeline, if you will. A beeline, (laughs) if you will. Yes. Uh, But yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It could have been cut at any time. Who knows? 
right. So Kelly and Yolanda are leaving heavily towards the theory that the person who killed Eric Baxter ambushed him in the home, accessed him from the backyard, etc., etc. And of course, that to them points to the suspect, Tommy Wortham, who didn't have a personal relationship with the victim, wouldn't have knocked on the front door, etc., etc. But um, they have to rule, or they feel like they need to try and rule Jerry Ragsdale out as a possibility, right? They need to be able to um, eliminate him as a suspect. And in an attempt to do that, they look at the timeline. So on the night of the murder, we know that Eric was alive at 1030 because that's the time that the telephone conversation between he and Rhonda ended. We also know that he was deceased by 1059 because that's the time that his body was discovered by his mother, sadly. We also learn... It's such a short amount of time, really. It is a really short amount of time. I feel like it doesn't happen that quick, usually. Well, Rhonda said something that... Rhonda, yeah, the friend said something that I thought was really intelligent that I didn't consider. She said, well, I mean, we were on the phone, and he felt like he was being watched. He felt like there was something behind the house. She said she thought whoever was back there was watching him and waiting for him to get off the phone so that there Probably. wouldn't yeah, be, yeah, yeah, you're right. so that there wouldn't be that like, you know, air quotes witness yeah, to what happened. That. So they probably were waiting for him to get off the phone and then they just struck. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't have gotten off the phone. But I'm paranoid. <laughs> if I knew that I was about to get murdered, I would have gotten saying, off like, the phone. I'm just saying, like, I get that feeling. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that sounds really stupid. No, I didn't mean it like that way. Because I'm just thinking of all the times that, like, me being my young, early 20s, you know, self who lived in Northside, which is, like, yeah. you know, the hipster part of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. I would walk for the people who don't know, I would walk like all the time back from the bar. But for some reason I felt like it, I was more safe if, if you I were, were on, on the phone, phone with call. someone. Yeah, for sure. I always had things to protect myself. You know, I had something in my pocket, my hand on something always <laughs> yeah. like, like mace, not something weird. Um, <laughs> always. But like, for some reason there was that comfort of like, if someone else is going to hear this, then it's not going to happen. However, I don't know if, if I were at home on a landline, I don't know what I would necessarily do. Maybe I would just pretend like I was on the phone. I I feel like he wasn't on high enough alert to really believe. He's like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, that something was actually wrong. But like who would ever come after me? Why would that happen? Yeah, it was probably just a little like kind of flippant comment that he made. He's like, man, something must be out here. The dogs are going that's crazy. Fair. Like a coyote or something. Exactly. Yeah. But then she, of course, has hindsight because she knows what happened after. That's fair. I'm like exactly like I do. Yeah. But I'm also yeah. paranoid as fuck in my own house. Yeah. Because of things like this. She's counting her knives right now. <laughs> that's not what I'm when I said <laughs> I meant to want to know where my like I keep a knife like a switchblade basically next to my nightstand. Jesus and I mean Christ. I was counting my I do. I always have. I'm not gonna cross because you. Because I'm paranoid. Okay, let's get back Again. to the story. Let's yeah. get back to the story. Yeah. Um, we're taking up everybody's sweet time. That's right. That's right. But hopefully they enjoy it. That's right. All right. I enjoy so, it. <laughs> 10:30 he was alive because he got off the phone with his best friend. 10:59 he was deceased because his mother came home and discovered him, which is tragic. Uh, We also learn that Jerry was at home and able to answer a frantic phone call from Eric's mother at 11.03. Okay? And I know what some of you youngsters are thinking. (laughs) So let me clear that up for you. Jerry had to be home at 11.03 to answer the call because it was made to something called a landline. 
A landline is is like a cell phone that only works when it's plugged into your wall at home. (laughs) Yeah. It has to be connected to a cord. All right. Remember, kiddos, this was 1998. Mm -hmm. All right. So now the question Kelly and Yolanda have is, did Jerry have time to make it from the Baxter property back to his home to answer that phone call by 1103? And I kind of wanted to... um pay a little bit of homage to this because I realized in watching how they kind of try to reenact like okay this is where his house is versus his house how much time would it take to leave like do we have it's 34 minutes I think they have 34 minutes yeah so they're trying to figure out can he have committed this crime and gotten back home to answer that 1103 phone call now that's the first time I've heard or seen investigators try to reenact a scene like that mm-hmm. for time since I listened to Serial with Adnan Syed. Ooh, that's a really good point. And that's a long fucking time ago that I yeah, listened to that. That's a really good point. But I just love these women. I oh, love I love this, this show. whole scene. And the, it it's like got my so heart well racing. Yeah. I was super into it. And then I really did think to myself, like, this never happens. Yeah. I've never, I don't hear about this happening. Yeah. Great investigators, great writers on this show. Absolutely. Truly. All right, so like Ashley said, um, they essentially hop back in the SUV. They haul ass over to Jerry's former residence. And the trip from the Baxter uh, property to where Jerry had been living at the time of the murder took them 13 minutes and 37 seconds. So there was 20 minutes left unaccounted for, which unfortunately is is Plenty. plenty of time. To commit a murder. Plenty of time. And they even comment, like, we don't think he would be driving, like, erratically or yeah. super fast. Let's drive, you know, at a normal person's speed, 5 to 10 over the speed they were, limit. Yeah, they were really know? reasonable. Yeah. yeah. So, unfortunately, they wanted to rule Jerry out as a suspect, but based on that, they couldn't. All right. So, next, we cut to shots of business fronts and landscapes all around Dixon County, Tennessee, with a voiceover from BBY. That's Bad Bitch Yolanda for the people in the back. (laughs) I was wondering if that's what it meant. (laughs) A voiceover from BBY saying that word about the investigation was traveling fast across town. So these random dudes who we as the audience have never seen or heard of before suddenly just like pop up on the screen. And we find out that they are going over to see if they can catch the suspect Tommy Wortham off guard. Catch him by surprise ask him some questions, and see if they can obtain a DNA sample to compare to Dutch touch DNA that had been collected off of Eric Baxter's clothing. All right, so we find out that these men are TBI agent Mike Breedlove and Dixon County Sheriff Jeff Bledsoe. Uh, They show up to, they never actually say it, but we can presume that this is Tommy's residence. And evidently, the camera is unable to approach the residents with them. So we kind of see some of this taking place from a distance, but the officers are mic'd, so we hear the conversation perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask Tommy if he ever thinks about the case. He says he does every day. They ask him how they can eliminate him as a suspect. He tells them, well, you can just find the real person who did it. <laughs> I love that response. Yeah, he says that he has nothing to hide. Then Agent Breedlove uh, confronts Tommy about the fact that they had been told by, quote, several people that he used to own a thirty-eight, which, if you remember, that was the type of gun used as the murder weapon. To which uh, he promptly, Tommy promptly states that he's never owned a thirty-eight and that nobody who's ever known him and nobody that he's ever worked with uh, would say that he did. 
Agent Breedlove asks Tommy if he's ever been inside the Baxter home or if there's any reason whatsoever that his DNA might be found there, and Tommy denies any reason. Uh, the officers then ask if they can collect a sample of his DNA, to which Tommy quickly agrees. And gotta admit, I was surprised by that. Yeah. Even yeah. our even our uh, HBIC was thinking the same thing. She did. She said the exact same thing. She said that it made him seem less like a suspect to her that mm-hmm. he gave up his DNA so easily and so willingly. But wouldn't it to anyone? I mean, it has all of us sitting back like, oh, okay, well. Well, I it did. Like I said, it surprised yeah. me. But I also immediately, like my next thought process was, well, all the things that we talked about, like... He was a, a law enforcement officer before. He knew crime scene investigation. He knows the mentality of all of it. Well, and maybe he's just so confident that he did all the right things that mm-hmm. he knows they won't find his DNA. Yeah, could be. You know, that's that was also, that was my second Could be where his, his thought was going. Yeah. All right. After that, a couple of our boys from the Fab Five uh, show back up and decide that they're going to throw a little bit of shade into the investigation at this point, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, Investigator Brown and Sheriff Patterson seem to believe that old adage, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, because <laughs> they decide they're going to track down uh, Scarlet Wortham, as in the woman that Tommy Wortham had been married to when Eric Baxter was murdered, but to whom he is currently divorced. So that the ex-wife. Right. They're going for the ex-wife. Initially, they aren't able to find Scarlett, but they do get an interview with her sister, whose name is April Davis, and she tells the authorities that she distinctly remembers Scarlett telling her that Tommy wasn't home the night that the crime was committed. And see, this is a problem because Tommy alibis, Tommy's alibi specifically states that he was home the entire night, which, of course, had previously been corroborated by who? By Scarlett. By Scarlett, His exactly. wife at the time. His wife at the time, but not his wife anymore. All right, so investigators do eventually make contact with Scarlett via phone, and she agrees to come into the sheriff's apartment the following day to answer some questions, which she does. But at, in, <laughs> Sorry. I do have notes about this for in yeah. a few minutes. Just keep going. But please. that interview does not go well. I re- Scarlet is pissed. Scarlet is an unhappy woman. She is ornery. Yeah. Uh, she pulls a full Tammy Wynette, stands by her man. <laughs> yeah. Even though he's now actually her ex. And she says that he actually was with her at home the entire night. She actually at one point even gets up and storms out of the interview room. Pissed. She demands to see witness statements. You're putting statements. words in my mouth. If yeah. you're going to put words in my mouth, then I'm going to leave. Sis, things got heated when Scarlett yeah. showed up. She was not having was any of it. dramatic. Yeah. All right. So they alter their line of questioning a bit with Scarlett because they understand that they're kind of not getting anywhere with the, come on, tell us, was he really there? Like sort of questioning. Uh, They start off by asking her how affected they were um, about losing the convenience store, specifically how affected Tommy was about losing the convenience store, to to which she explains that he took it pretty hard because he had also, around that same time, lost his job in law enforcement, and Scarlett was actually eight months pregnant at the time, so he felt like he had no financial stability for his wife or his child, and felt as though everything in his life was crumbling down around him. 
I kind of giggled a little bit, though, because she said he lost his cop job. He lost his cop job. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. his cop job. Yeah, okay. she sure did. Let's undermine that position a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. We also learned from Scarlett that despite some of the statements previously made by Tommy, that he did, in fact, know where the Baxter residence was located. And he did, at one point in time, yeah. own a revolver that closely resembled the murder weapon. Oh, the moment that she said the thing about the gun, Yolanda and I at the same time go, <laughs> <laughs> we literally made the same noise. And I'm pretty sure it was something like, oh, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Catching him in all these lies. There it is. All right. So then we finally, 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 after that dramatic sequence uh, with Scarlett, <laughs> we finally get an interview with suspect number two. Mr. Jerry Ragsdale himself. Oh, this poor guy. This poor guy. Jerry explains that in the initial stages of the investigation, he lied about his relationship with Eric because, quote, he thought he was doing something good. So up to this point, people have spoken very openly about the fact that Eric was in a homosexual relationship with at least one man in his life. Um, But from what Jerry is saying in this interview, I'm inclined to believe that when he was alive, Eric was probably not out as a gay man, mm-hmm. and he probably feared the idea of being outed as a gay man while living in small town Tennessee in 1998. And after 10 years, they had probably talked about that, yeah. you know? That's probably something that you know about someone. Exactly. And exactly. he even openly admits, like, I would change it if I could. I shouldn't have lied before, but I thought I was doing good. I completely agree with you in the fact that I think Jerry knew Eric well enough that he knew that that's not information under, I guess, normal circumstances that Eric would want people to know. Right. So he lied feeling like he was protecting Eric in some way by not telling people or making it common public knowledge what the true nature of their relationship was. But instead, he made himself look like a suspect. Which is an explanation that at that point in time the authorities seem to be satisfied with and i was satisfied when with you it. see it made him sense to me. when you watch his interview like the one woman she even goes not a not our not our girl kelly kelly she even goes i feel sorry for him she did she did she said that and I she was basically like, wow. is like i'm sorry that the circumstances have led him to this place mm-hmm. you know because she i think empathized and sympathized at least with the full explanation that's exactly right yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. We also learned during the interview that Jerry has never owned a gun, nor has he even fired a gun he has no in his clue. adult life. He yeah. has no clue. And he even says, like, well, no, like, not since I was, like, a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this poor guy. Ugh. Let him go. Give Let him, him a pop go. Tart. Let him go home. Give us some grape soda and a pop The Golden Girls are way. probably on. He's missing an episode. That's what I'm saying, All sweetie. Right. So for all these reasons, Kelly's intuitions tell her that this murder was not committed by Jerry Ragsdale. Mm-hmm. It wasn't committed as a crime of passion, uh, mostly considering his lack of experience with firearms and the fact that essentially he would have had to have been like a crime scene expert to That's the thing. Leave. It was so meticulous. They exactly. even used the word meticulous. It was a meticulous crime scene. Sort of like in a Dexter kind of way. Exactly. You know? It was so meticulously done, and there's no way that someone who has no previous experience or knowledge of these things, like Jerry Ragsdale, could have pulled that off without leaving some evidence behind. I am someone who goes with 
police officer friends maybe once a year to a shooting range. And even I am like nervous and shaky the first time I'm firing a handgun, like even a handgun. It is if you're not used to using it all the time, you wouldn't be that meticulous again. (laughs) Meticulous. That's our 50 cent word. It is. All right. So they, of course, say we can eliminate Jerry as a suspect, you know, as part of our investigation. We're going to eliminate him or we're going to focus on Tommy Wortham. So focusing on Tommy as their primary suspect, the investigators reach out to his former co-workers at the Hickman County Sheriff's Department and ask him if they'll come in for interviews. Officers Jerry Simpson, I'm sorry, Jess Simpson, Jerry Ragsdale, Jess Simpson, sorry, combine those two. Mm-hmm. Jess Simpson, Chuck Talley, and Gary Ola showed up. Gary Ola. Yes, ma'am. <sighs> Zaddy. You had a zaddy. I have a zaddy. I had a moment. For yes, sure. Zaddy. For sure. And not only was he pleasing to the eye, honey, <laughs> they showed up he, to that interview. They, they, they all did. And yeah. he surely, I have a comment about something that he says. I'm sure that you wrote it down too. Well, let's see. I just said that in separate interviews, they each described Tommy Wortham as a crooked cop with a drug problem who was pissed at the Baxter family after he lost the convenience store. And who was, in fact, the owner of what? Mm, a thirty-eight. A thirty-eight. A thirty-eight nose. caliber revolver. That is correct. Which they say the stub nose thing. It's like this tiny little thirty-eight. I've never even seen one in person before, and I'm like, oh well, that makes sense. They're so small. Yeah. Uh, I think they mentioned the fact that it actually was a gun that he kept in the register at the convenience store when he was still working there. So I wonder if there was something like symbolic, Mm. assuming that he potentially committed this murder, would there be something symbolic in his using that specific weapon? Yeah. Cause they are, they do bring that up. Mm -hmm. So it does, it could, it points it in that direction. Makes you wonder. Makes sense. All right. So what did you have in your note? Did I cover it? (laughs) No, I was going to say, cause you know how, Tommy brings up, he's like, ask anybody that I know and ask any person yeah. I've worked with. They, they'd they say, I never owned a thirty eight, And this they, they cut to it twice. Yeah, where... because it was so powerful. <laughs> I know exactly Gary what you're about to say. Ola, they're like, what would you say to us if if uh, Tommy said that he didn't own a thirty eight? And he goes, I'd say he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> he very powerfully. Just, just emphatically. Like, emphatically. And, very uh, boisterous. My panties hit the floor. I literally... <laughs> Sierra laughed, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah, daddy." <laughs> I'd say he's lying, and mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, all right, he's very strong in that conviction." I think it was also in the opening sequence too, right? Mm-hmm. So we get it like a total of three times. That's right, <laughs> you uh, do. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, it it makes sense. Thank you for standing up for sure. All right, so cut to Sheriff Bledsoe, who's doing an effing fantastic job of playing good cop. Oh my God, I know. The way he talks Such to him. Such a good job. So he goes back over to pay Tommy a visit, uh, asking him to come in for some formal questioning to, quote, get his name cleared off of this thing once and for all. Yeah, because it's like their best buddies. That shit rolled off of his tongue like melted butter. Oh like, yeah, it did. He is so smooth and so good at playing that role mm-hmm. of like, I'm your buddy. I'm trying to help you out. Yep. So good. Uh, Tommy actually says that It won't be today, but he probably will come up there the following day to talk to the investigators to clear some things up. Yeah, let me talk to my wife and my kids first, which is always an interesting thing. Like, okay. Uh, Spoiler, Tommy does not make good on that probably, probably, which is unfortunate. 
but not as unfortunate as the fact that the DNA test results come back from the lab and they are inconclusive. Of course. I mean, I kind of a little bit saw that coming based on the fact that when they showed the DNA testing, they all wrote touch DNA, which mm-hmm. obviously means it's it's epithelial very, skin tech, yeah, like it's, skin cells. It's not like blood. It's not, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't enough touch DNA collected at the crime scene to create a full profile that they could compare against the DNA of Tommy Wortham. And maybe he was cocky about that. Maybe that's why he was so sure that they couldn't match his DNA to anything. All right. So next we have this very dramatic scene with the Fab Five uh, (laughs) where Detective Patterson is explaining that he doesn't feel good about taking the case as is with only circumstantial evidence to the district attorney. This scene is dramatic. It's very dramatic. But first, I want to bring up the fact that I wrote wrote a note that, like, they have Dixie cups as pencil and pen holders. Because I know we're getting to this point. And mm-hmm. I just made a comment, like, that's how you can tell that it's all men that work at this department. <laughs> they're using Dixie cups <laughs> as cup holders. Okay. Or pen fair. holders. That's fair. Or at least there are no homosexual men. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> all sure. straight men. That's all right. All straight say. men that work there. <laughs> Yeah, because we'd brighten that shit up. That's what I'm saying. At least mm-hmm. use a mason jar. Come on. For sure. Shabby chic. <laughs> it's right there. Yep. All right. So he says he doesn't feel confident or comfortable or he wouldn't feel confident or comfortable taking only circumstantial evidence to the district attorney. Said he would feel better if they had some DNA evidence or they had the murder weapon. He just wishes they had one solid thing tying t- Tommy to the crime. But Q Kelly coming in hot with a visual, right? Love it. I, it. It actually is really brilliant. I love a good visual representation. All right. So she pulls out one pencil from those Dixie cups or those solo cups or whatever <laughs> they were. She pulls out one pencil and says, this represents their case against Tommy with that one solid piece of evidence. And what happens, Ashley? Snaps it. She snaps that and bitch And Sierra's into. watching this with me and she's like, you know those cops are sitting there like, did that bitch really just snap our pencil? Did she just break our pencil? She's gonna have to buy us a new that one. That's a good pencil. <laughs> right? It's right. brand new. <laughs> but then she starts listing off each individual piece of circumstantial evidence that they have. And with each thing, she pulls out another pencil. And she pulls out another pencil. And she pulls out another pencil. And each, of course, is representing each piece of circumstantial evidence that they have and she shows him you can't that all of it. that combined <laughs> yes all of that combined makes their case unbreakable mm-hmm. and then what happens my friend he's like i think we've got enough yeah, he's <laughs> Let's convinced go to the grand jury he's convinced they're all convinced and they say you know what we're gonna take this to the da so then finally 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 uh we meet district attorney general dan also broke also broke also i feel like i feel like i always imagined when i was younger that like the da would be an older guy i will say this is the oldest district attorney i've ever seen mm-hmm. they're always way younger than i expect yeah. and this guy is exactly what i expect most of the time yeah i he there was something else like there was another part of his title that i think maybe meant that he was like the dude overall the district makes sense or something yeah, yeah. Like for the state. I he's think definitely they, older than most I've yeah, seen. <laughs> they pulled out the big guns. 
Um, but he tells them that uh, he appreciates how hard they've been working uh, as a group, and he's just so appreciative of everything. He remembers this crime when it happened. He knows the family. Um, he he just is very, very, very complimentary, kind of leave, leaving them in suspense, leaving them hanging just a little bit before he eventually says that he is going to take their investigation to the local grand jury and ask for an indictment uh, to charge Tommy Wortham with the first-degree murder of Eric Baxter. Woo! And then the episode closes with Yolanda and Kelly giving the good news to Eric's best friend, Rhonda Talbert, who is thankful for their A hard work. A heartwarming moment. Yeah. She's thankful for everything that they've done, and she's just hopeful that her friend... After 15 years, 15 plus years, he's finally going to get some justice. Mm -hmm. And that's where they end it. It's not really where they end it. Well, that's where the episode ends. But you... I have more. ...were the research queen that's this right. week. Let's take a break so I can All right, just take a, a break. <laughs> just a quick break so that we can mentally prepare ourselves for what apparently is not going to be good news. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> to let you all down. Oh, okay, let's take a quick break. All right. So <laughs> I was waiting to see if you were gonna go first. <laughs> yeah, um, we have returned. We are returned. We are returned. We have returned. <laughs> we have returned. We are here. Yes, we're here. Back, to... back, back, back again, again, back again, back again, 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 again. Okay, Ashley to bring the news. Queen. The news yeah. of the world. The news of the the entire world. No, just this world. Oh, okay, <laughs> just the story. World. I'm here for that. So I'm here for that. there's only two places, well, really, that I I'm choosing to quote from. I did, you know, look up a lot of things just to compare and contrast. But two that I heavily are, two websites I'm heavily gonna kind of like pull from are wbko.com, which is a local to that area news channel, and then there's another website called middletennesseemysteries.com, which really oh I've used that lot. one before. Yeah, it helped me with a lot. I've, I've, I'm actually heavily quoting them towards the end of this but okay first i'll start off by saying at the end of the episode you kind of find out that they go to the grand jury and it's all you know written in text it's not part of the episode they always kind of wrap everything up by giving you a either happy synopsis or a really sad one and i feel like this one was really sad you know the grand jury said at the end of the episode you know there wasn't enough evidence apparently they could break those pencils oh. <laughs> there wasn't enough evidence so but here's the deal you know what i say F that. Buy stronger pencils. That's <laughs> that's fair. Add some <laughs> pens in there, you know, maybe exactly. a Sharpie marker or two. Yeah. But in any case, the show got so much, you know, drawback, or not drawback, but what's the word? Like uh, publicity? publicity, I guess, from from people that they were writing the right people. And okay, yeah. eventually the same amount of evidence was resubmitted and... Well, one thing I wanted to add in, actually, before I get onto that, is in the show, Johnny, right, lied about ever owning that thirty-eight caliber Tommy. gun. Tommy. Tommy. Jesus. Tommy Wortham. Tommy. <laughs> Tommy Wortham. I have Wortham written, so Wortham, he lied about owning the thirty-eight caliber handgun, and the tree that he used for target practice just disappeared before the bullets could be retrieved for ballistics. Ooh, that's... Yeah. That's kind of brilliant. That's something that's, they didn't yeah. bring up in the show at all. I didn't that's realize. That's kind of brilliant, though. Yeah. I mean, for a criminal mind. Right. That's, yeah. he, he got rid of it. Like, the tree. there's a tree stump. So that's it. Um, so in, in part of my research, there was something from the WBKO.com that said the maximum sentence when they brought this to the grand jury again uh, that Wortham 
could have could have been sentenced was 50 years but the jury ruled that the case was reckless homicide and robbery gone wrong instead of murder and it could have been life for like what evidence did they have that pointed to that which is interesting because the other notes that i have from the other websites that i looked at it says they arrested so in 2015 the TBI uh, special agents arrested Wortham and charged him with one count of first-degree murder and two counts of felony murder. So I don't know where that disconnect is. Yeah. Because ultimately, you'll see what happens. In 2016, which this is interesting because there's no comment on who this person is in this show. Okay. TBI agents charged Wallace Wally Brazil. Wortham's brother with one count of first degree murder and two counts of felony murder, which is the same thing. Okay. Later that year, Brazil was charged with retaliation for past actions after he had phone conversations with a family member during which he made threats to harm the TBI agents who investigated Eric's murder. So all I could really gather from the information that I found was he knew about what was going on. He was part of this kind of like plan, so to speak. Like he was involved but also, too, he, there was, like, recorded phone conversations where he was saying he was going to attack the agents that were after his brother, basically. Okay. So they indicted him on both of those charges. Was he... Okay, so he... I'm sorry. Say that I again. Know. Was Was he indicted for anything with regard to the Baxter murder? It has to be. That's the only thing. Like, I can't find exactly how or why they were the he exact was involved. Same charges. It was the exact same charges. Yeah. So I don't know how involved, like, how that makes yeah. sense. Because I can't find exactly yeah. the story of, like, how they... It's not like either of them are going to talk. And we're limited to the information exactly. that we can access via the internet. We're limited to the Google bot. Yeah. So, yeah, they got the same charges. But, so, before the sequestered jury, which who decided what they were going to be charged for, before they could decide their fate in 2017... Brazel and Wortham entered a no-contest plea to voluntary manslaughter. Okay. It was a six-day trial. It was held from March 14th to March 20th, 2017. The state called 21 witnesses and entered more than 90 items into evidence, which would be all, like, the circumstantial evidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, On the seventh day... All the pencils. (laughs) All the pencils. Yeah. All the uh, metaphoric pencils, if you will. On the seventh day, the men pled no contest. So they finally, I guess, were sitting around long enough to be like, wow, they've tracked us. They've got all this, 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 and this. All these 90 different things. And after the pleas, both men were released on time served. What? How much time? Couldn't have been that much. Are you ready? Brazil, so the brother, uh-huh. was in jail from April 21st, 2016 to March 20th, 2017. Are you fucking kidding me? That's not even a year. That's not even a year. I have no words. Yeah. Um, Were them, so Tommy, yeah. was in jail from... October 2015 to March 2017. So basically like two years-ish, not even. Was that? For literal murder. Literal murder. I understand that. And we saw what their first allegations were, like what they were indicted for. Yeah. 
they were indicted initially for first degree murder and two counts and okay i get throughout the legal process just in the short amount of time that we've been doing this podcast i get that sometimes you can't prove premeditation you can't always prove uh intent uh there obviously it sounds to me like there was some sort of argument from the defense side saying well they broke in to rob him and a fight ensued i'm i'm just snowballing off sure, of what i what it could be yeah, what I'm the defense filling, could be yeah i'm filling in the blanks and you're thinking exactly all the things that i was thinking yeah. like one was a distraction so one could rob the place exactly but like and then my a struggle is- ensued and he ended up getting shot and that wasn't their intention when they went there okay so fine so they plead but like what was taken from the house then if there was a robbery going down you I, know there was no even mention of that i think i mean if i again i'm just <laughs> snowballing and yeah. i'm filling in the blanks for myself there yeah. was probably an argument that well our intention was to go there with guns to rob him and he fought back when we were just trying to steal from him or we were trying to restrain him or subdue him in some sort of way. So then we panicked and we shot him and he died, but that wasn't our intention. That's the only way I can see going from like a first degree murder charge to, okay, we'll let you guys off with just manslaughter. But fucking time served of a year and two years? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. And this is why we do this fucking podcast. I'm sorry I'm dropping the F-bomb a lot because I am not happy about this. This is why we do this podcast because I have to ask you, do you believe if these two men had showed up, had shown, showed, shown up <laughs> uh, in the middle of the night, the home of like Susie Q, like blonde haired, blue eyed, like mother of three Mm-mm. and like attempted to rob her and that turned into a murder. Do you think they would have done one in two years for that? Fuck no. Absolutely not. But because it was the local homo, his life wasn't worth as much. Fuck you, Tennessee. And that's that's tough for me to say because... You love your, your I Tennessee I love Tennessee, roots. but fuck you, Tennessee. Fuck you, anybody who doesn't value the life of this beautiful man. It's the thing is, like, he had this one enemy, and this one enemy who ended his life had more... It's a popularity contest. Yeah, it absolutely was. He had more popular votes yeah, than it absolutely was. this guy who was just a do-good person for all, yeah. seemingly, anyways. Whose life is worth more? That's what it yes, comes down to. Absolutely. Whose life is worth more? This cisgendered, heterosexual, former cop, good old boy, or the local gay? Mm-hmm. Whose life was worth more? They obviously, in this situation, chose the garbage monster. The garbage monster. And I am unhappy about this. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I am too. It was real frustrating to sit there like, I got to find something else. I've got to find something else. And and that's... that's, This is no good. It is all there is. And it's terrible too because I I don't even know exactly why or how this jury got to this. We're going to make it manslaughter anyways. But still, only... We could make an argument for some of our past um, one-offs like Elena Rendell. Not saying that you're allowed to murder your sister, but obviously your brain's not functioning properly yeah. and you need a little bit of guidance and some some medication. This person just straight up, there is no history that we know of of any kind of anything other than drug abuse, yeah. which is a mental health issue. But at the end of the day, you were just a crooked cop who did some drugs and then you got mad at some guy because you guys were doing it and he Backed out on a business plan, so murder is the option. You took his life. That's the story. That is the story. And 
you didn't even bother to steal anything after you killed him. So to I, make it look like so a robbery? I call complete... Complete bullshit. Yeah. It and just, the fact that your fucking brother, which... I wish I knew more on how he was involved. If anybody does find more, I tried real hard. If anybody does know more, it's like, can, to run concurrently, you let that be, I can't, what, why, how? That system was working in their favor. Oh my God, it blows my mind. So, so fuck, fuck you, Dixon County, Tennessee. I'm sorry to piss everyone off, but that's all I've got. <laughs> that's does all Yolanda I have. know? Oh, I wonder. Does Yolanda know? We should, we should I, I would love to like, have her on the show one time. I Maybe feel like one Yolanda day. could go in there and like fuck She's some shit up. crack some skulls. And yeah. Kelly, like, Kelly would probably, I mean, I hate to say she'd probably cry. She probably did cry when she found out, first of all, that it got rejected. And second of all, this is what happened. And yeah. I just want to give her a big old hug and say thank you for at least bringing it to our attention. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Thank you for at least giving the family closure. Yeah, Because, I mean, exactly. I know it's a shitty situation. It's a shitty ending. But yeah. at least people did have their closure. A yeah. little bit. Not enough. Well, I don't have mine. I don't either. I really don't. So, fuck that. I really don't. We love you, Yolanda. We love you. We praise you. And also, this is what I'm definitely going to be keeping up on in yeah. case this guy ever does get caught for something else because i yeah. feel like it's gonna happen uh, yeah okay so do we want to do like a distraction or something well yolanda was enough of a distraction for me she was she was beautiful we love her we do we also love all our the listeners yes. all of our folks all the queens kings and folks we hope that you love us yeah, and tell us. We'll tell you. <laughs> tell us about it. And how can they do that, Ashley? <laughs> they can reach out. They can reach out. Slay Queens Pod across the board. We've got it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go check out our Patreon. We've got some more things going on the Patreon, too. Yeah, we do. We do. And now, now you can do time. it via merch. That's right. You can wear us on your face. You can. On your face, on your chest. <laughs> you can put us in your mouth. I mean, not like completely, <laughs> just but the, just the tip. Just the tip. There yeah. are coffee cups. Uh, of it's which... a latte mug, which is even better. Yeah, I have one. I have one at home. I my am barista side a coming big out. Fan. Yes, yes. She got serious. Like y'all should have seen the face. She was like, "It's a latte mug. Thank you. <laughs> it's big enough to fit your milk and everything." <laughs> yeah. But we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We hope yes. that you have enjoyed all of our episodes. Sorry that the ending was so. Well, we don't have any control over that, That's unfortunately. True. But we love you all. We, we love you. hope to hear from you. We hope all the good things for you. We do. We also hope that you will go out and slay queens. And also, two more days before. Well, well we're talking from the past, but for we're us, speaking to you from two the past. more days before that motherfucker is out of office. Yeah. So go out and slay queens. Just not. Just not each other or the <laughs> Capitol building. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>